If you would please join with me in the prayer for illumination. God, illumine our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, our eyes may see your kingdom, our ears may hear the call of Jesus, and our hearts may know the joy of your salvation. Amen. And I'm just looking, and I forgot to copy and paste the scriptures, but I have them, so hold on. This is the fun part about moving around all morning sometimes. Our first scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched a crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she has to live on. Our second scripture also comes from one of the Gospels, this time the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. He replied, I have kept all these since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, there is still one thing lacking. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? He replied, what is impossible for mortals is possible for God. Then Peter said, look, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not get back very much more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this morning, we're reflecting on chapter six of our Fruitful Practices book. Now, as Christians, we follow a set of beliefs that often run contrary to the set of values that drive the culture around us. And perhaps one of the places where this is most evident is in how Christ calls us and how the Bible directs us to handle our finances. Because the world around us is driven by acquiring more and more. We aren't just dealing with the desire to have more and better things, but we are also fighting with the fear of inflation or stock market collapse, the worry that some human-made or natural disaster will deplete our savings, as well as the anxiety that prompts us to just keep storing things away for the next rainy day, just 
pace. Research has shown that regardless of how much money people make, whether they are people in poverty or people in the middle class or people of great wealth, when asked, almost on the whole, people say that they would just feel more financially comfortable if they were earning a mere 20% more than what they are currently. Now, most of us, not being wealthy ourselves, would think that once we had enough money to call ourselves wealthy, we wouldn't need any more. And clearly, if people living in poverty had just 20% more, many of them would still make less than what many of us are living on right now. So this idea of being comfortable, if we just had 20% more, only goes to show that nearly all of us are constantly chasing this notion that if we just had a little more, life would be better, would feel more secure. The trouble is, is that even after people get that 20%, they can still see that even more would be better. And so on and so on it goes. Thus, our culture of discontent has no ceiling to it when it comes to our money. And if we spend our time chasing that number, if we always just need that 20% more, then we are never going to be happy with what we have already been given. And we will always be left feeling unsatisfied. The Bible calls us not to be concerned about our money. The parables admonish us not to bury our talents. Christ directed his followers not to worry about what they would wear or what they would eat. And he reminded them that God clothed even the lilies of the field and provided for and protected the lowliest of sparrows. And part of the reason that we are told not to worry is because we are also called to be generous, extravagantly so. And certainly we cannot be cheerful givers if we are busy holding on tightly to what we have. To be extravagantly generous, we have to be willing to move outside of our comfort zone. And we can see the kind of discomfort that Christ is calling us to if we reflect on both of our scriptures today. In Matthew, Christ lifts up the poor widow as an example of the kind of generosity that is worth talking about. Even though her donation was minuscule in comparison to so many others that day, the widow still gave everything she had anyway. She put it all on the line. To some, surely her sacrifice seemed absolutely pointless. She could have kept those small coins to herself and used them for something worthwhile. After all, the temple hardly needed them. Others had brought bigger and more useful donations that day. To others, her sacrifice probably seemed pretty reckless. Giving her last two coins meant that there was likely nothing left for tomorrow. Yet to Christ, her sacrifice showed her gratitude for what God had given her and her faith and trust that God would continue to take care of her. She was willing to give everything back to God. She didn't need those two coins to make her feel secure. She believed and she trusted that God would provide for her. In our second scripture from Luke, when Christ encounters the rich young ruler who is eager to find out what he can do to earn eternal life, Christ points out to him that though he was a faithful follower of all of God's commands, there was still room for him to grow, still more that he could do and should do. Yet when Christ simply told him to sell all of his belongings and give his earnings to the poor to follow him instead, it only made the rich man sad. And it seems no wonder, for his possessions and his wealth seem to have trapped him 
and kept him from being able to have the freedom to follow Christ. And though we may sit here this morning and wonder why the rich man couldn't bring himself to part with his possessions, how many of us could or would do so if we were called to today? How many of us could go home this afternoon and sell everything we own and give everything away and then follow Christ away from our home and our family and our security? If we are being honest, most of us would find that very, very difficult to do. And though the majority of us here today fall somewhere in between the rich young ruler and the poor widow in regards to our own personal finances, there is truth in both tales for all of us. And the truth is that giving and being generous the way God wants us to be generous requires us to be willing to step outside of our comfort zone and to trust that God will take care of us. When we can do that, when we can trust him enough to put him first and do what he calls us to, it deepens our faith because whether we are talking about our individual generosity or the generosity of our churches, the bottom line is we are all called to give, even if it may be in different ways. So how can each of us make room for extravagant generosity as we enter this new year? First of all, we need to be willing to talk about it. For individuals, this might just be a conversation between you and God, or it might be a conversation between you and another fellow church member. But take stock of where you are now and think about, and dare to think big and pray about and pray earnestly about God is calling you to do. And I have to say, as one of your pastors, I have seen this fruit already. I have been blessed to see how many of you show up for sharing kitchen and souls and children's ministries. I have watched how you have filled shoeboxes and stacked up peanut butter jars on tables to send overseas. And I have witnessed the way that so many of you are willing to leap into action when you find out that there is a need in this church or in the community beyond. Fruitful congregations like yourselves talk about money. They talk about their bottom line, but they also talk about what is possible if they trust God enough to think extravagantly Not extravagant like we need to put in more fancy chandeliers or heated pew cushions, although those might be nice on cold days. But the kind of extravagant thinking that leads churches to step out in faith and change people's lives with the finances that God has entrusted to them. As Robert Skazy puts it, fruitful congregations practice generosity by their extraordinary support for missions, outreach ministries, and organizations that change people's lives. They give joyously, generously, and consistently in ways that enrich people's souls and multiply the ministry impact of the church. Being joyful and generous in our giving allows us to touch people's lives and change them in the same way that our lives have been changed by God. And we have seen that within our youth ministries, within the way that we contribute to causes in our community, and within the way we collect items, whether it is like those peanut butter, or shoebox items for folks that we have never even met. Once we start giving, it becomes contagious, and it spurs us on to give even more. And when we can think and give generously, whether it is our time or our talent or our finances, we can make a bigger difference for Jesus. And all of that generosity changes us as people. It fills us with gratitude. It reminds us that God is the giver of every good gift. 
And then when we look around, we aren't noticing that 20% that we thought we were missing. Instead, we are noticing that our cup is full and overflowing with God's goodness and blessings. This is why we joyously bring our tithe to the storehouse. As Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 tells it, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. That overwhelming feeling of gratitude is why gleaning was a practice in the time of Ruth. Farmers were grateful for their bountiful harvest, and so they intentionally left parts of their field untouched so that the poor could also gather grain and feed their families. It is why Abram gave a tenth of the goods that he received as spoils of war in battle. He was grateful that God had been with him through that battle, and he wanted to bless others because of it. It is why Hannah was willing to hand over her only son to be raised in the temple, because she was grateful that God had given her a child. I could go on and on this morning. The Bible is full of example of example of generous giving from those who were filled with gratitude. The bottom line is that our generosity, our offering money and talents and time and other possessions to God is a result of our gratitude for God's generosity to us. It is not a duty or an obligation that we must fulfill. It is an honor and a privilege that God is willing to use us in order to build his kingdom. How we choose to use our resources that God has given us either honors or dishonors him. And when we choose to be generous, it allows us to turn our blessings into someone else's. And we have been witnesses to extravagant generosity. Certainly many of us have seen how God has taken care of us and has taken care of our churches. For example, how many times have funds become available just at the time we need them? How often have we seen people rally together to help a cause or an individual in need? And how many times has our generosity rooted in grace and expressed as our love for God and neighbor, as Wesley would describe it, made a positive difference in someone's life for the purpose of Christ? We have seen lives changed by generosity. And the best part is that living generously allows us to reprioritize our lives and it focuses our hearts on what is lasting and eternal rather than focusing on what is temporary, on chasing that 20% that we will never catch. What we earn and what we spend and what we give belongs to God. And perhaps most importantly, we should be generous. Because in being generous, we are committed to looking forward to the next generation that will sit in these pews. And if we look around in the sanctuary this morning, we can see the visible generosity of others and how their faith in the future of this church has blessed our lives. These walls, these pews, this altar, all of them were built on the foundation of the generosity of previous generations, those who believed that this building needed to last for generations to come. And I see that generosity and dedication, especially when I look at the stained glass windows that surround us. In so many churches like this one, there are often names at the bottom 
of these windows. Names of people who wanted to inspire the faith of others that they would never meet. Names of people who wanted to make this worship space a beautiful retreat for years to come. Names of people whose extravagant generosity literally colors the way we look at our sanctuaries today and inspires us to think of how we can build a future of faith for others. It is because they loved this church that we get to love it too. And I got to say that no matter where I go and where I worship, that legacy of faith that we give to each other gives me spiritual goosebumps every single time. Robert Scazy puts it another way. He says, we have been the recipients of grace upon grace. We are the heirs, the beneficiaries of those who came before us who were touched by the generosity of Christ enough to give graciously so that we could experience the truth of Christ for ourselves. We have worshiped in sanctuaries that we did not build and drunk from wells we did not dig. And so to us falls the privilege of creating sacred spaces for others where we shall never worship. And that, my friend, is what our extravagant generosity can do. It can allow others to experience the truth of Christ for themselves. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to remember that all good gifts come from you and to focus our hearts and minds on ways that we can use our gifts to change the lives of others around us so that they can come to know the love of Christ for themselves. And thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your kingdom and to make a difference in Jesus' name. Amen. Our second hymn this morning.